Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com. Guys, welcome. Um, we're going to do things a little bit different tonight. Rather than just teaching for the next 20, 30 minutes, I'm, I'm going to share something that's on my heart in segments. Uh, so the next few minutes, I just want to uh, invite you guys into a conversation I feel that the Holy Spirit's been having with myself and my wife, specifically this past week. Um, so much so that I think it's actually uh, something that He would want our church to engage with. You see, the Bible was written um, not only with uh, just this beautiful element of God working through human beings to write the scriptures, but we also see that throughout the scriptures there are themes. It's not just a bunch of works kind of scattered together, that there's one unified redemptive story that's happening. And when you look at it closely, when you spend the time to to study, what you find is that in this larger redemptive story, there are key themes that you begin to pick up. And specifically tonight, we're going to be focusing uh, on the theme of your heart. And from the very beginning of Scripture, this theme of the heart begins to arise. And the reason we're talking about that is because there's so much happening right now in the world around us. And there has been a lot of talk about the symptoms that we're seeing. Uh, The symptoms that are so easy to find on a social media page or on news. Uh, There's been a lot of talk and debate uh, and even even, uh, just kind of outrage talking about solutions. So we've talked about symptoms, we've talked about solutions. But in my experience the past few weeks, there's been very little talking about the source. What is the source of these symptoms? Where is all of this stemming from? And the Bible has a lot to say about it. And if you go to the root, if you go to the source of much of the brokenness that we're seeing around us, specifically within the relationships that we're seeing, it often comes back to the idea of the heart. Matter of fact, in the opening chapters of Scripture, in Genesis chapter 6, it talks about how when God looked at the world that His heart was broken because he saw that every inclination of the heart was bent towards wickedness. Or another way to understand is bent towards self and and what was best for that person or individual. And out of that became all sorts of problems that frankly have not gone away thousands of years later. And so if you track this, this word heart, it's this Hebrew word lev. That's your only word I'm going to have you guys learn tonight, just this word leb, because it keeps showing up throughout the Old Testament. And so after we see this in Genesis chapter 6, we see it show up again in Exodus 18, or I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 8, when it talks about Pharaoh and God getting a hold of his people, been crying out for him, but it says that Pharaoh's heart, his leb, his inner man started turning hard, Right, It started, that thing that was supposed to be soft and moldable all of a sudden began to be calloused and hardened. If you fast forward till God rescuing the people of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land, they pause in the desert of Mount Sinai to develop a covenant relationship with their God. And in their covenant relationship with God, there is this prayer that to this day is central to the Jewish people, and that prayer is called the Shema. 
It's something that you recite at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. Jesus recited this prayer. I just want to read this to you. It says here, which is the word Shema, and it's, don't think of listen like we would in our English language. Think of listen as obedience. You're responding. So Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your leb, all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. So we're introduced to the heart as actually bent towards self, bent towards weakness. We see that exude in Pharaoh. But then when we see God rescues people, he says, listen, this is what I want your heart to do. I want your heart to be bent towards me. I want you to listen and to respond. I want you to pray this prayer every single day that God would have your heart. Fast forward to the life of David. You see this little shepherd boy picked out amongst his brothers to become the greatest king Israel's ever had. And what does God look for? His heart. Verse Samuel 16, it says, the man looks at the outward appearance and he's had just a disaster with this king before him named Saul. And Samuel, the prophet, goes, and what does God say? No, no, I'm not looking at anything else that people are looking at. I'm looking at this, this leb, this heart, this inner person. And what we see is that later on after David's throne is we fast forward to Jeremiah, who's a prophet, and his critique of Israel at that time is what? It's their heart. And so we see this theme woven throughout Scripture of how God's desire is after our hearts. Yet, again and again, our hearts turn inward. They turn against uh, God's beautiful design for us. And so the question that we're going to be walking through tonight, both through the scriptures and through the songs we're going to be singing, is what is God's response to this ongoing problem throughout scripture? God wants our heart. Yeah, we turn our heart towards ourselves. We turn our heart towards evil. We turn our heart towards evil. What is God's response to this? And I just want to propose three things tonight. And we're going to just focus on the first one right now. And we'll visit the other two in just a few moments. But I believe that God's response into our, our, our bent, this gravitational pull we have of our heart towards wickedness is a, giving us a brand new heart altogether. And I think that's important because I think a lot of times when we step into a church or we tune into a message or we open a Bible or we begin to pray, we assume that God wants to work with the heart that we already have. We assume that God's going to take the messed up version of ourselves and begin to refurbish it. But before that even, that conversation even enters the table, we find here in the same prophet Jeremiah and also in Ezekiel, that God is not after just trying to fix our broken heart. He actually wants to give us a new one altogether. So we have to start there. God's not just trying to put a band-aid on things, which I think some of the frustration that we've sensed the past few months is as we've experienced symptoms, as we've experienced people trying to find solutions, the reality is we know if the source isn't fixed, there is no hope. And God knows that. So what does he do? He offers us a solution unlike the world has ever seen before, and that is an exchange of our old heart for a new one. In Ezekiel 36, 26, in talking about the coming of the promised one, the Messiah, who we know as Jesus, he says, I will give you, listen to this, a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
I think one of the most uh, interesting and challenging phenomenons as we receive this new heart is understanding that that new heart, if not tended and cared for, can actually become hard. You guys know what I'm talking about? Um, I, I remember specific times in my life where I would read a news article and I would skip to the next one, watch the next one, and, and nothing. Uh, I remember times in my life where I'd watch someone in deep pain and I would sit there doing my best to empathize, but nothing. And uh, more than I would like to admit, there's been moments where this new heart that God has given me over time has found itself becoming hard and calloused and numb to the things that really should matter. And I can't help but think, based on even just the conversations we've been having this week, that that might be many of us at this point. The last few months, I believe, have taken a toll on our society and really the whole world. The past month, understanding the layers and the level of injustice and racism that still exists has done something to us. I think the even hearing like, oh, well, what if there's a new this or new that? All of a sudden, you can find yourself having a level of, of almost the feelings you used to have begin to start feeling numb. And this is not just something that we find recently. This is something that we've actually trace all the way back into the, to the stories of scriptures. I think about Moses. And Moses, uh, if you know anything about the Bible, he's kind of like the hero. Um, to this day, the Jewish people and, and the way they view Moses um, is so central to who they are because he led them out of um, in such a dramatic and powerful way that it's something that the Israelite, all of their feasts, all of their holidays point back to Moses and his ministry. And what you see is throughout Moses' life, he continues to go to God to defend the people in their wickedness, right? When they, when they go and the people make a golden calf when they should have been waiting for the Lord, Moses defends them. When you see the, the kind of the Israelites uh, continue to complain in the wilderness, what do you see Moses do? He defends them. He has a heart for them. And by the way, before you start being like, I can't believe the Israelites complained in the wilderness, Israel is a case study of us. Right? This is, that's who we are. We're not Moses. Right? We're Israel. We're, we're constantly in this perpetual state. But what you find in Moses at the end of his life is that his whole journey leading to the promised land, he doesn't get to walk into because there's this moment where God tells him, like, hey, the Israelites are complaining once again. They want water. Go speak to the rock. And instead of speaking to the rock, this is in Numbers 20, he goes and he, and he strikes the rock two different times. And as he's doing that, he begins to just start um, just venting about the rebellion of the people and the wickedness of the people. And in this, in Numbers chapter 20, what you see is Moses' heart grew hard. He lost sight of what was always supposed to be before him. And and as I read this, it's such a, a reminder to me of even though God has given me a gift of a new heart, it's still something I am to tend. It's something that I have to observe, something that I have to cultivate so that those things in my life, whether it's 
Um, again, whether it's the outlier things in our life, whether it's kind of the internal relationships you have, whether it's that boss that frustrates you, whether um, whatever it looks like, we can, without knowing it, find ourselves waking up and we are numb when we should be people of love. So just three things that can create a hardness in our heart. Number one is being worried. What happens is when we allow worry to to seep into our heart, we can become fatalistic or anxious. We begin to start assuming the worst case scenarios, godless scenarios are, are inevitable. And that worry, again, if unattended, can begin to start hardening our heart. Secondly, it's being weary. It's, it's the ongoing stress. It's the rhythm and the minutia of life that before you know it, you're walking into your house or your home after a long day of work and you don't care about anything about except for just unplugging and just disconnecting. Because we're weary. Or sometimes our heart can grow hard because we're wounded. Because of the things that have been done to us, words that have been said to us, we begin to start to wear those on our heart and they become part of identity. And that's not an exhaustive list, but whether it's worry, being weary, or being wounded, what's amazing about this new heart that Jesus gave us is he didn't just give us a new heart, he gave us a life that we can look to. And he says, you know what, I know what it's like to be worried. Did you know that Jesus, we see him in the New Testament, experience worry and anxiety, but you know what he gives us? Peace. It's what he offers us. We, we see Jesus become weary. So what does Jesus do all the time? He rests and he naps, sometimes at really odd occasions, like in the middle of storms and things like that. Uh, we see him go away and the people are like, where did Jesus go? Because we see Jesus give us a model of how to live with a renewed heart. See, Jesus never needed a new heart because he's God. But Jesus had to tend to his new heart because it could grow weary and wounded. It could be worried. And so the life of Jesus gives us an example of how to engage the heart to make sure it stays soft. Um, We look at the wounding that can happen to heart. This is one of my favorite things is there is never, there's never something that's been done to me that I can't look at Jesus and be like, wow, that has, that has happened to him. Betrayal, abandonment, false accusations, slander, physical, mental, emotional things that I can never even imagine. Jesus said, hey, I've, I've been there, but what I want to offer you is a place of healing and rest for your heart. So I believe that some of the, one of the points tonight that we are to stop and pause on is that not only Jesus is offering us a new heart, but maybe you've come in here and your, your heart's just grown hard. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to renew and soften your heart, to take away, to wash over the calluses that we have allowed life to build up around our heart. I think about the words of 1 Peter 3, 8-9. through 9, It says, Finally, all of you, Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart and a humble mind. 
Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, I love this, the command is bless, for to this you were called. And so I want to read a blessing over you. I want to read a blessing over every heart in this place that has become hard, hard towards their spouse, hard towards society, hard towards their parent, hard toward um, a friend, hard toward God. I want to read a blessing over you. John 14, 27, the words of Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Love as words, our affection, our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus. Uh, those are going to be really strange lyrics if you're unfamiliar with the story that's referring to you. Um, this is not in my notes, but I just feel like this is a story we are to be drawn to tonight to conclude. It's in John chapter, John chapter 8. There's a story of a woman. I'm sorry, John chapter 12. There's a story of a woman who, or sisters, Martha and Mary, who welcomed Jesus to a dinner to celebrate him bringing their brother back to life. It says, then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This is really at the climax of John's gospel, where he's about to break bread, share the cup, die on the cross. But as the story comes to its climax, it revolves really around a woman washing his feet. And in the next chapter, we see Jesus washing his disciples' feet. But what's fascinating is you don't see his disciples washing Jesus' feet. You see this woman who has come to the absolute end of herself, has received the gift that she never thought she could receive, and she doesn't know what to do except, except to take the most expensive thing she has, to take the thing that was most valuable, which would have been her hair, and to throw both at the feet of Jesus in an act of radical, desperate worship, lays herself down at the feet of Jesus, evoking a sense of uncomfortability in the room and even scandal. And this should not be happening, but there's something inside this woman that cannot help herself, which is kind of our concluding thought tonight, that not only does Jesus give us a new heart, not only does he want us to give us a soft heart, but he longs for us to have a devoted heart. He wants this heart that he's given us to come to the end of itself and to say nothing in this world will satisfy but you. You're the only thing that makes sense. Nothing that I can hold on to or I can keep or hoard or protect will matter. All of it belongs to you, Jesus. I'm laying myself down at your feet. It's an absolute, devoted, fully abandoned heart that you cannot contain anymore. And so you find yourselves doing something so radical you never even could have imagined. And I know for me, this has become the desire of my heart as everything in life has seemed to be twisted and turned and you don't know what's coming next. But the thing is, you know what's at the center of it all. That when Jesus remains the center of your life, the devotion in, of your heart knows exactly where to go. 
And it's finding itself laid out before Jesus with holding nothing back and nothing left. When Jesus was approached by by a lawyer in his day asking, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus refers to Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, and Leviticus 19 when he says, listen, the entire law is summed up in this. You want to know what to do. Love God with all of your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else hinges upon this absolute sense of devotion. That loving God is is not just an extravagant posture of worship, although that's a part of it, but it's how we take this renewed, softened heart within us and we let it spill over to the world around us and those who are in need and those who are hurting and to say, God, my life is an offering unto you. Every breath that we've sung about tonight belongs to you. Every waking hour of my day belongs to you. My passion, my devotion, my affection belongs to you. And this is where it belongs and this is where I come alive. And so I want to conclude tonight with an opportunity to worship God, not because it was a part of the set, not because someone asked you to. This is up to you. Wherever you are, whatever condition your heart is in, would you find yourself evaluating your life, saying nothing else matters until I have given my absolute devoted heart unto God. And that we would not leave this place without letting ourselves lay it all out before the Lord. And that we would allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, that we would stay in that place and stay in that posture. I mean, let me just ask you a question. When was the last time your life looked like that of Mary's? When's the last time you fell so in love with Jesus that you couldn't hold back the passionate, devoted response to lay at his feet? And as I ask you that question, that question sits in my own heart. This is not something that God is trying to twist our arm into. It is a gentle, loving invitation to say, hey, would you you come? The thing you've been thirsting for and desiring is going to be found here. And so as we end our night of worship tonight, would we end with a heart renewed because of Jesus, softened because of Jesus, and devoted wholly unto Jesus. No matter where it's been at tonight, would we come back to this posture and giving everything that we are and everything that is deserved to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, we give that to you tonight. Meet us here, God. Lord, I pray that our faith would not look like a comfortable, reclined, distant relationship with you, but an extravagant and radical, prostrate, devoted posture before your feet, wholly devoted to you in whatever way that looks like for every individual and in their gifting and in their uniqueness. Lord, would we find our heart fully given over to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.
Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com.